So I'm on stage this morning, so something's different. I don't like being elevated like this, but it's kind of what we have to do. So I'm excited. I'm so excited. Uh, we have Brian Clark in the house with us tonight. Absolutely. So Brian was gracious enough to come, and is his son. His son's here, too. Uh, he's hanging out with us. Brian was gracious enough to come, and I asked Brian if he would come so we can have a conversation. So if you're new to Life Fellowship, uh, this is what we call one of our panel interviews, right? So where we just have a discussion about a certain topic and gives you a chance to get to know Brian a little bit better and, and uh, hear his heart, and then we'll be able to glean. I promise you, you're going to glean today as much as you would have uh, if someone was just teaching the Word of God. But about Brian, I, I, here's what I can tell you, and there's a lot I could say because one of the ways that you know that uh, someone is is not just a co-laborer, right? I mean, he is, we're co-laborers, but one of the ways that you know that someone is more than that is you, you give him a nickname. And so to you, he's Brian Clark. To me, he's B-Love. <laughs> That's B-Love, man. That's my boy. That's B-Love. So... <clears throat> That's my guy. Uh, Brian and I have rich history. Uh, you talk about a guy that, um, with Brian and I, it's, it's never light. It's real, it's raw, it's transparent, it's open, it's deep, and I thank God for him. But a pastor said something one time, and I, res I respected this pastor, I still respect him, but I wholeheartedly disagreed with him. He was talking about the preaching of the word in the pastorate, and here's what he said. He said, anybody can do this. And I said, I didn't say anything. I respected this man, and it's one of those conversations where I was, I'm the younger guy in the group, so I keep my mouth shut, right? But inside I'm thinking, he hasn't heard Brian Clark preach. Because if you hear Brian Clark preach, you know that not anybody can do this, amen? Would you welcome Brian? Come on up, bro, let's chat. <clears throat> Be love. <laughs> So. Well, it's, uh, I can't believe you told my nickname, man. <laughs> hey, man, I, I just... But it'll never sound... It doesn't sound the same unless it's coming from me, right? Yeah. <laughs> so he, he said Brian. He didn't say B-Love. Yeah. So... So a little bit about Brian. If Mindy was here, his mic would be on. Yes, that's Is right. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yes. So if Mindy was here, I would have my crap together. You would. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Are you are you on though now? What's a, I am on. Yes. Okay. Can on. you guys hear him? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. I'm so not, apologize. Speak, speaking of Mindy, yes. Tell us about your family, man. Your wife, your kids. How long you guys been married? All that. Wow, um, this December will be uh, 29 years that Mindy and I have been married. And uh, I met her when I was going to Baptist Bible College in Springfield a uh, long time ago. Uh, it seems like, uh, when I think about those memories, it was like, it's like an old movie that I watched one time. It was so long ago. And, um, but I remember the first time I ever saw her, um, as soon as I saw her, I was like, I'm, I'm gonna marry that lady. And um, she is, uh, and I did, yeah. And she didn't, she didn't think so at first, 
uh, I had to take a little time to convince her, but um, uh, yeah, I, uh, I knew I'd marry her, and uh, she's just been the love of my life ever since I met her. And uh, she, it was actually a huge turning point in my life, but um, my life has been different uh, from that very day. The very first day that I ever talked to her, um, we've been together since that day. And um, she has uh, completely changed my life. Now, it, it's been some years, but I, I remember hearing the story during that time when you guys first met that she basically made a, a missions declaration to you. Yes, so right. tell us about that. Well, um, I, I, uh, I knew that she was very special when I saw her, uh, and that was partly due to her legs, you know, because she's a beautiful lady. And, uh, and so when I first saw her, I was like, holy cow, you know, and uh, so I was... I just was head over heels, you know, but there was a lot more to her than that. We were, you know, there at school getting trained and we were watching this missions video in the field house there at the school. And uh, when we left, we were walking around the grounds of the school and stuff like that. And, uh, and she told me, she's like, that's, that's what I'm going to do. She said, she told me, she said, with or without you, that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I thought, man, I've got to marry this lady before someone else gets her. And uh, I thought you would have proposed right then and there. I, yeah, that, I almost man. did. Yeah. almost did. But that was only a couple of weeks in. I'd already made the mistake of telling her that I loved her one week into our relationship. <laughs> and uh, I thought she was going to bolt, you know. And uh, I was like, we're going to be together forever, you know. And she's like... Uh, She's thinking restraining order, and I'm thinking, you know, that we need to get married. So that's why I call them be love, man. There's only one be love, man. That's it. Only yeah. one be love. So praise the Lord. You've you've planted a church in London, and yeah. you've handed that over to a national. That's right. A Brit, and that church is doing very well. And you've now come back to the states. Yeah. To get ready to do this all over again. So how's that going? It's going really well. I mean, uh, it's a lot of traveling. Um, I was, uh, it was like three and a half weeks or something up in New England, and then I was just now uh, almost a month in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. And, uh, and we've got supporting churches. We've got to make another really long tour to the southeast part. And then I've got a great friend that's having us up to Montana. So it's going to be all over the United States. And so it's a lot of driving and a lot of flying. And then the hotel rooms, the hotel rooms are the worst part of all that. And then being, if I'm without Mindy, um, that's really the worst part. Uh, I, I mean, I can feel myself getting sadder, mm -hmm. like when, if on like week two without her. I can feel myself uh, doing that. And I'm not a homesick person. I don't get homesick. Home is wherever I'm at, you know. And, uh, but it's very different when she's not there. And uh, so basically home is wherever Mindy's at. <laughs> and so I do miss her, but the hotel rooms are, are bad. I mean, you can only watch Matlock so many times before you're just like, man, I gotta get out of this room. And um, so, but the churches, when I visit the churches, uh, that is a joy. It is a real joy to be able to visit the churches and, and be with them. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, it's a, an accomplishment that you and Hudson made it here this morning because Mindy's out <laughs> yes. of town. Mindy's out I mean, of you, town. You look dressed I, and presentable. I had, and... I had these laid out before she left. Okay. And then she had, she had dinner in the fridge for us. Yeah. 
And, uh, and so, yeah, if it, I mean, it's a, it's a miracle that we're both here today because it was just us guys at the house last night. So, I mean, really anything could have happened. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm proud of you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm proud of you. So Brian and I had lunch recently and he, I was, he got there and I was walking off and I saw him and the first thing I said to him, I'll see if you guys agree. I said, bro, you look just like a Brett. Doesn't he? Does he look like a Brit? He does. I mean, you talk about becoming all things. I mean, well, after 20, you've become that. After 20 years, I suppose it's rubbed off a bit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, if I could just learn to talk like them, I would probably fit in nicely. You would. Yeah. You would. So you, you come from a missions family. Yes. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, so tell us about that and, and just the, the, how that influenced you in yeah. that direction. Well, my grandfather was Clifford Clark. That's actually my name, is, is Clifford Clark. My mom, uh, apparently she thought that I would never get a date if I was named Clifford. Uh, and so she always called me Brian, and, uh, which is my middle name. And uh, she did not want to call me Clifford, but my dad did, and he won on that one. And um, so my grandfather, Clifford, uh, Clark was a pastor in Tulsa Baptist Temple for 38 years or 40 years, something like that. And, um, and every Sunday with him was Mission Sunday. And so we had a huge mural in the baptistry that was like all the nations of the world and said, go you therefore and baptize all nations. And um, I mean, every Sunday when I was sitting there, you know, Pops made it very clear what our purpose in this life was. And he would take me into his office and teach me and uh, guide me and, and give me little things of wisdom to remember. And um, so he was a he was my hero. He was a huge influence, not just in my life, but uh, he he saw churches planted all over the world. And um, and so he was a, a, a huge force in my life. And uh, so yeah, I knew uh, from the moment that I got saved, you know, I knew what my purpose on this planet was, and uh, and I knew what we were supposed to do. And um, so, yeah, growing up in that, and then, of course, my uncle is a, is a missionary in Bogota, Colombia, and uh, just, you know, a, a wonderful example down there. They've planted, I don't know, 30-something churches uh, down in Colombia, which is no easy task uh, to accomplish. And, um, and the pastor that he's trained there is just, you know, he's the best. And um, so there's, a, there's really been a huge influence in my life. So I've known you know, all my life what we were supposed to do. And, and that's really by God's grace. My father is the one who led me to the Lord at his bedside. Uh, he's the one who taught me the Bible. He's the one who taught me how to walk with Christ. Um, and uh, so he's been a huge example in my life. My mother has just been a huge example of her uh, rock study of faithfulness to the Lord. Anyway, I mean, I could go on and on, but um, yeah, they've been, uh, that's, that was God's grace in my life. A little bit of history here, just so you guys know. So, Paul Clark was a missionary from Tulsa Baptist Temple to yeah. Bogota, Colombia. They've planted, to your point, over 30-plus churches. Yeah. Paul Clark is Emily Miller's father, in case you guys know. So, Brian and Emily are cousins. That means I'm actually related to Chris Miller. So, if you guys could pray for me yeah. on that. Because, well, we've all got our cross to bear. Yes. And uh, so yes. I've got to be. That's a big one. Yeah. I was yeah. married into Chris Miller's family and mm. him into ours. And so, yeah, man, I really need some. Yeah. We, we need to fast over that. Yeah. 
So, funny story. We were uh, in Bogota yeah. years ago with Chris and Andrew Ong, and and uh, they invited me down to speak at their conference. And so I'm sitting with Rudy, oh, the, yeah. the pastor of the church, and we're just kind of going over the evening order of service and things like that. And and uh, he tells the story about <clears throat> a guy that he had led to Christ, and and when the guy got saved, he, he got out of the cartel. Yes, that's right. And then his father had him killed. Yeah. Like, point blank range. In, so, his, fr- in his front yard, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So then Rudy says to me, he goes, so, let's hug and pray because you never know it's going to be the last time we see each other. And I'm like, <laughs> so, now we're going to yeah. go preach? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's like, wow, this is, this is a different conference. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So, well, that's their world. Yeah. yeah. I didn't tell Lori before I left, I, but I, I was like, just so I told him when I got back, I said, just so you know, uh, Colombia is one of the five most dangerous countries in the world. Yeah. And uh, so I don't want her to worry. But so Mindy told you that, you know, hey, I'm going to the mission field with or without you. Yeah. So how was what was her mission's influence? Where, where did how did she get that burden? Um, well, she grew up in a, a Christian home. Her mom and dad, you know, took her to, to church ever since she was little. She got saved around the same, we both got saved around the same time in our life. We were both very young. And, um, and so she grew up in a Christian home, grew up in a Baptist church in Marshfield, Missouri, small town. And so she, again, she, you know, it was by God's grace that she grew up in that uh, nurturing of the, of the word of God. And, um, but she didn't have the same, I mean, she, it was a missions minded church, but she didn't have the same, uh, necessary missions influence like I did, at least to that degree of saturation. Um, it was really just the work of the Holy spirit in her life. She knew, um, what she was supposed to do. And, um, I've been so grateful for that, you know, cause she really is, I tell people all the time. It's so true that she is the reason why there's a, a church in London. Um, because if it wasn't for her, it wouldn't have happened. She, she really is the glue that holds her. Isn't that true? That she holds us together. And so, yeah. I know you well enough to know that to be true. It's yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Fraser, uh, yes, thank you. Yeah. That was kind of, yeah. well, that was kind of an insult. Did you, no, you well, know that? That was kind of well, a, I, I, I have the same testimony. If there's right. anything good that's happening in my life and ministries because of yeah. that woman back there. Yeah. So she's, she's steady. Yeah. Very steady. Very steady. So I, I told you one time, you probably remember this, we were having dinner. And I said, bro, I just, the British accents, I just can't do it. Like, it, it sounds awful. Yeah, I can't do it either. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, if I try to imitate it, it sounds yeah. like I have a speech impediment. It yeah. just doesn't sound right if I try to do it. I, I, I've since changed. I appreciate it now. I used to oh, yeah. not be able to stomach it. but Well, I really, there, it depends on what part of the city you go to. Okay. You know, because uh, the British accent, it's, like, it's a lot like saying a southern accent. Yeah. Because uh, that can range, you know. Yeah. And uh, so it, it is different depending on what part of the city you go to. And then if you even go up, you know, northern England, and uh, it's very different. If you listen to James Bond speak, and then you, like, listen to Paul McCartney speak, I mean, if you listen to them side, but their accents are completely different. Um, but I would say the, the Scottish accent is probably my favorite. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. But it can be, the, their brogue can be so thick sometimes 
that it's maybe hard to understand them at points, but if it's a little lighter, man, it's, a, it's, a, it's really great. Okay. Yeah. So speaking of London, how did London get on your heart and then talk about the, you know, the transition yeah. to London actually going from a faith perspective? That's a, that's a big decision. Well, that, that was pretty huge, obviously. I mean, back when we were at KCBT, Larry, you probably remember those days uh, that whenever uh, discipleship changed all of our lives, and uh, it certainly did that for me. And uh, I, was, I was the janitor at KCBT. And, um, and so I was you know, listening to, I would go into the tape room because I had the keys. So I'd, I'd sneak into the tape room and I would listen to all the sermons of all the different fellowships. And uh, I found out later that that actually was, um, well, theft. I guess that was theft. <laughs> but, um, but I would take the tapes and I would listen to them. And, um, and I heard uh, one of the pastors saying they were going to take a missions trip to London. And, uh, man, something really moved in me. I thought, I've got to go on this missions trip. And I went to the pastor and I said to him, I said, man, I've got to go on this missions trip to London with you. And he was saying, he said to me, he said, I, you know, it's going to be an expensive trip. I think that was his nice way of saying, you know, you're a janitor. So, uh, a janitor who stole, who stole the tape. a tape yeah. that heard from the Lord that heard from the Lord that he needed to go on a trip that right. he most likely couldn't afford. Yeah. Okay. So obviously, you know, he blesses some theft, you know, because it works. But. Um, so I, I told him, I said, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll save my money. I said, I've got to go. And he said, oh, you, you know, you pay for the ticket. I'll, I'll take you. And I said, great. So I, it was like 15 guys. Alan Shelby was on that trip. Uh, I actually roomed with him. And uh, that's a whole other story. But uh, and um, we uh, when we got there, I, it, it was it was so crazy. Um, as soon as I stepped off the plane, I knew that that's where I was going to live. And uh, it was very similar to when I first met Mindy, uh, as far as the feeling that I had. Um, but, you know, I don't put a lot of stock in my feelings, sure. so I just kind of tucked that away. I didn't tell anybody. I had this overwhelming sense of certainty, like this is the place for me. But I just kind of tucked that away, and then while I was there, the missionary we were going to visit, he approached me and said, would you consider moving here to help me? And I was like, I, I would. Yeah, and, uh, and so that was crazy, too. And uh, so I took that, I tucked that away. And uh, I even, when I went home, I, I talked to Alan Shelby, talked to Sam and, you know, different people, and was like, this is kind of what's on my heart. And, um, and so I took Mindy over. We went with that group in May, and I took her over in November. And so totally different city from May to November. In May, the, all the gardens are abloom. It's just the, in summertime and springtime, there's no better city in the world than London. In November, there's probably no worse city. And so in November, it was raining, it was cold, and uh, we're on the flight back, and Mindy's like, please don't ever take me back to this place. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm like, listen, I, I'm never gonna take you back there. It was horrible. And uh, I said, I said, listen, I said, I'm never even going to bring it up again. Um, I said, if God wants us in London, then he'll, he'll come and get us. Now, I knew that he was going to move us there. Um, but I needed her to have the space to let God tell her. And that was really huge uh, in my life. Because for me, it's like nothing's really real unless, you know, punk agrees with it. And, um, and so I just needed her to have some space that, to let God tell her. 
And uh, it was like a year later, we're at the house, and uh, my dad is up. We're getting ready to watch the Royals uh, play. And so uh, we get a phone call, and Mindy will tell you, she said she knew as soon as the phone rang uh, that God was on the other end of that line. That's what, she, that's what she told me. And it was the missionary that we visited, and he said, uh, you know, I've been working with this organization over here called the London City Mission, and uh, I've been telling about you, long story short, he says, they want to hire you and Mindy, uh, both. They want to give each of you a salary. They want to give you a house and a car, and they will work with the home office to get you the visas to move to London. You can come right away if you want to. And, um, now I, and I, I didn't, the part I didn't tell about that story is that it's impossible for an American to get a, just a normal visa to move there. Uh, unless you have some sort of specialized skill, which I don't. So, and so uh, he's like, you can move there right away. And, uh, and me and Mindy, I mean, I, our hearts just dropped into our stomach, you know. It's one thing to talk about missions, but when God just opens up the door, it's like, okay, you can go. We had the money, we had the house, a car, we had a church we could work with, I mean, we had everything, and we could just... And uh, so... Uh, we went to the game, me and my dad did, <laughs> and Mindy stayed home and prayed, and, uh, and so she was just like, she was sitting there in front of her word, and uh, she was just praying. When I came home, she was like, she's like, we need to move there. She's like, God has made it so clear that this is the place for us, and that was really big, and this is one thing I would advise you, that if, if you feel like God is moving you into missions, um, it's so important that you, you have strong convictions about that. But at the same time, you really want to, one, uh, listen to your pastoral authority. Uh, that's such a huge blessing in your life. Um, it's so important, especially in this area, you need to have someone in your life that can tell you no. It's, that's such a blessing. That's, such, that's God's grace. And then at the same time, <clears throat> don't force it. Allow God to open the door. Because when we got into London, when we're years into the work and it becomes really hard and I start to question myself and I'm, I'm wondering, like, what have I done to my family? You know, and we're like knee deep into some of the hardships of it. Uh, the fact that God had opened that door and had miraculously brought us there, not only did that make a difference to my faith, uh, but it made all the difference in the world to Mindy's. Because she knew on her own that God had brought us to this place. And uh, so that makes all the difference. So listen to your pastors. If they tell you no, listen to them. Uh, don't go anyway. That just, it might mean just wait. But listen to your pastors. And then one, don't force it. Allow God to open the door. Uh, because that will make all the difference later. I appreciate that. And <clears throat> for me, when, when we left to go to Long Island in 2003, you know, Alan and Sam were directly over me in ministry and they didn't tell me no, but they didn't tell me yes either. Yeah. And that was, you know, knowing what I know now, that was a sign or a signal that I needed to at least wait. Yeah for a clear yes or a clear no, and, and I decided to go anyway. So God used it, uh, yeah. but it, it was a very, uh, it, was, it was an expensive lesson, yeah, uh, one that sure. I'm grateful for, but costly. 
I remember Alan teaching us years ago that, you know, never doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Right. And so for you, you, God had given you light. Yes. So when it got dark, it got dark. It, that light was still shining. Made all the so, difference, yeah. So in terms of London, um, describe the mission fill that is London, England, and the challenges of making disciples there. It's a tough place. Um, well, I would say, and we could talk a lot about this, but uh, in the interest of being brief, I would say I could sum up the culture in three words. One is uh, secularism, secular humanism, uh, to be specific, but that's two words. But um, And then um, religion and magic. Those are the three words that I would use to describe the culture. Um, secular humanism is the predominant thought process there. Uh, less than 2% of the culture goes to a church of any kind. And um, so it is not a Christian country. It is a secular country, which basically means in practical terms that God has not permitted a seat at the table when it comes to solving real problems. Um, and so they are that very much that way, which makes, uh, in the long term, it makes it a very lonely city. Uh, because your life becomes, uh, practically speaking, about self-fulfillment, uh, which always leads to isolation and loneliness. So L London is not a community. It's 12 million individuals. And, um, and so there, it's, it's one of the loneliest places to live in the world. But the culture is also has a religious history. So that is kind of ingrained into their history. And so you have cathedrals everywhere, and we also have uh, all the other religions. We have the largest Hindu temple in the world outside of India is in our city. We have all kinds of religion, which that really breeds a lot of self-righteousness. So along with the idea of self-fulfillment, uh, we have a lot of self-righteousness, and we have this underlined uh, idea that I'm basically a good person. And that leads to a lot of pride. So those are already two dangerous ingredients uh, where you have this secular humanism, but you also have a lot of pride, a lot of loneliness and pride, uh, dangerous combination. And then you add to that um, magic. And so this is a huge part of the culture as well. And you can see this going all the way back to the history of the, the legend of how they were even uh, born with uh, King Arthur and you know his table. And you always had the knights with all of their morality and their uh, chivalry and all of that stuff and their sense of justice. But on the other side, you always had Merlin. And so those two things have always been a part of their culture. So the typical Londoner, they would think we were crazy because we believe in God, but then they will go to their palm reader to, you know, uh, they would think we were crazy because we believe in a resurrection, uh, but they'll go to a medium to talk to someone on the other side. And they don't necessarily see any contradiction in that. C.S. Lewis referred to them as the materialist magician. And, um, and that is really the way that they are. So this kind of thing always leads to the idea of self-empowerment. Uh, they're always looking for that secret, you know, in the spirit world or something that's going to empower them to fulfill themselves. And this, t this tends to, if it's left alone, leads to the demonic. And uh, so you have this, these three things kind of make up the three different facets of the culture. And so... Uh, these are the three things that you're trying to overcome literally when you're talking to someone who is 14 years old. By the time that they are that age, uh, these things are very much ingrained into who they are uh, as a person, along with a number of other things. But uh, So when we talk to people on the street, these are the things that we have to kind of overcome. And where we live in Bromley, that's where Charles Darwin is from. His house is not very far from our house, you, and you can go visit it. 
Um, and they have a huge mural of him on the wall on the street where we go to share the gospel every week. And uh, that's always where I gather our people to pray, is right in front of that mural. Uh, it's kind of like giving a spiritual finger to Charles Darwin right before we go out <laughs> to share the gospel with people. Be love, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, Was that be bad? love. Was that, I'm sorry. It's, it's be love. Yeah. That's what it is. So it, It's crazy to think that at one point in time, the the great Charles Spurgeon rocked that city with the word and to see what it's come to now. I want to come back to um, you guys hitting the street, but, but man, you, four kids, right? Four children, four kids. Yeah. So you and Mindy, which praise the Lord, man, I have great respect for this, but you guys have raised four godly children in one of the darkest cities in the world. So talk a little bit about, being on the mission field in a culture like that, how did you approach education? I mean, I mean yeah. that's, that's tough. It was, it was really a tough decision. And I have to say up front that, uh, that our kids, who they are, really comes down to the grace of God. Um, it is, uh, you know, I cannot say, if I'm going to be honest with you, that it was anything particularly clever on my part. Um, and uh, I really owe God all the thanks for the kids that we have. I've told them many times, you know, planting a church in London is hard enough. If I had to do that with rotten kids, I don't know that I could have made it. By God's grace, he gave me what I believe to be the best kids on the planet. No offense to anybody, but I, I'm, I'm a big fan of my kids. I love them to death. Um, and I would, I would almost, besides Mindy, I would rather hang out with them than almost anybody. And uh, I really do love them so much, and uh, I'm fascinated by them. Um, but um, one of the, some of the things that we did um, as far as raising them is I made it very clear um, from the outset that uh, I don't believe in adolescence. Um, um, I think that I told them as a kid, I said, a, a child is an adult in training. I'm training you to be an adult. And so by the time that they're, you know, Stefan's age at 13, like I, I refer to him as a grown man. I treat him as if he's a grown man. And I expect him to make grown man decisions. And um, so I'm always training them to be an adult uh, and, and training them to be a believer who is an adult. And then I also, uh, we instilled in them early on that church planting is not dad's job, but this is the family business. Um, and so uh, I dragged them with me wherever I go. When I go to the street, I'll drag them out there with me. And they've been going out there since they were little. And uh, when I go to, you know, we go to church, you know, going to church is not an option. This is not, you know, if they feel like it, all that kind of stuff. Church meetings, we have those at the house. The kids get to be there. Bible studies, they're always there. And uh, so I just take them with me. And then we also have formal instruction, too. So we have a lot of informal instruction that's just Deuteronomy 6 type uh, instruction, but we also have formal instruction. Actually, me and Hudson are going through discipleship right now. I usually wait till they're a little older before we go through the formal discipleship. <laughs> Madison has been through that. It's Hudson's turn. Eventually, it will be Caitlin's, and uh, and so on. And um, so we have a lot of formal instruction as well. Uh, and then we have uh, you know uh, consistent discipline, uh, but we also just shower them with love and uh, laughter. We uh, we laugh all the time. Um, it's just a constant thing that's in our house, at the table and stuff. 
uh, we just kiss on them and we just try to love on them. Do you do you still kiss on Hudson? Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He's he's saying no. Sometimes I, I just have to I have to get a running start. Oh, okay. But then I, I will just tackle this guy. Yeah. And it's so funny actually if you tackle him on the ground. Yeah. And then I'll start to punch him like especially right in the kidneys, you know, and yeah. uh, and so I'll start to punch on him and he will just get laughing so hard. Whenever I tackle him on the ground, it's really sweet. And uh, then Mindy will tell us to stop. And, uh, and, uh, but yeah, we, uh, we love on him so much. Stefan, he's still little, so it's easy to tackle him. And um, so you just kiss on him and, and, and try to shower him with love uh, and all of that as well. And so that, that's you know, 80% of it. And then you know, the other stuff you have, has to be there. But, so uh, speak, speaking of your kids, two, two things, um, <laughs> both a little lighthearted, but yeah. but but always a little message in that too. So when you got back, it had been a minute since you've been around my family, and of course my children are like yours; they're, yeah. they're young men and women, right? right? So we were we were all out to lunch, and yeah. and you go, man, I didn't know that was your son that's talking about Ken, right. and you go, he looks like a model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a so good looking kid. I would agree with that. Yeah. And I, did, I just want to remind you that he is a godly, <laughs> single, young man. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think you have a daughter around yeah. his age who yeah. is a godly, single young lady. That's true. Speaking That's of true. your kids. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> It's all right. Well, I mean, any any lady would, you know, would be honored to marry Ken. Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, he's not perfect, but he's not bad either. Yeah. Uh, he's a good kid. Yeah. So the other day, I get a knock on my door. Yeah. It's your son. Oh, my. And uh, he, <laughs> he wanted to give me feedback on a message that I had taught. Oh, right. Yeah. And, I'm, and, and I'm, he's talking to me, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, I'm trying not to laugh, man. <laughs> Because <laughs> he was serious. Oh, he's serious. I mean, he was being dead serious, yeah. and I'm like, okay, don't laugh. Don't yeah. laugh, man. Don't smile. Because it was you. <laughs> it was just like, I was like, I'm talking to Brian. I'm talking to B-Love. <laughs> I mean, it was no offense, man. I, I respect you. Why, why do you have to say no offense on that? That's what oh, I just... <laughs> It's like talking to Brian, no offense. <laughs> so we, we've had a few really good conversations, and every time I just think, don't laugh. Do not laugh. <laughs> I love you, bro. Respect you. Uh, so London, uh, man, hard hearts. Yeah. So talk about when you guys go out soul winning. I mean, that's been... You know, and we'll, we'll get to your book here in just a minute, just ask, but one of the things about your book I really have appreciated early in the book has been just your conviction. You know, when you got there, you, you weren't there to swap sheep, you know? Right. You're over here, you're in a church, well, come over here with us, but, but you actually have been doing the work of an evangelist. Yeah, that's been your approach. So can you talk to us about that? Um, yeah, I was I mean, God really um, when we got there, um, God really turned my life inside out. And um, I didn't know it was very unexpected. Uh, as I said, I grew up in church and I've been you know, I've been training all my life. 
for this job uh, and for this work. And um, but I, I honestly don't think that I was a soul winner mm -hmm. when I arrived in London. I think that was something God did in my life. Um, I managed to go through, I don't know, I think it was approximately 14 years of Bible training uh, without that happening. Mm -hmm. and, um, and when I arrived, I don't think I was a soul winner. But he, he completely transformed my life, and he turned me into one. And uh, one of the things that he really taught me uh, early on, a lesson that really changed everything for me as a minister, um, was that uh, as a church planter, as a minister, as a pastor, a missionary, whatever you want to call me, uh, it is, it's, it's not my job to fill up a room. And, and, and you guys might not know, maybe you do know, but in a, in a pastor's world, um, th that is what they are told is their job, is to fill up a room with people, to get people into seats. Um, and that is very unfortunate. That's a, that's a very unfortunate turn that has happened uh, in the West um, with regards to the ministry. And uh, the problem with that is that it really takes the Bible away from a minister. Mm. Uh, because a minister, he's really judged by most people on his attendance record. Um, and so uh, because the Bible actually doesn't have anything to say about that, if you can imagine that, um, look at all of Paul's pastoral epistles. He, he doesn't give his pastors any church growth plan, which is amazing considering... Uh, that's been turned into almost the entire job of a pastor today. And, um, and so uh, if a pastor is going to really deal with the bottom line stuff of how he's going to keep his job and get a paycheck and all that stuff and be judged by other pastors as whether or not he's a success, he has to completely rely on other books because his Bible has nothing to say to him about that. And so it gets him out of his Bible and into a bunch of other theories <clears throat> so um, that's, a, that's a shame. And God really told me early on that that is not your job. And so as a rule, from the very moment that we started Crossroads Baptist Church, I made a rule for myself that I would never count how many people come. Now, don't get me wrong. It's right to count. A lot of people count. And administratively, it's probably even wise and smart to count. So I'm not against counting. But it was something I did for me to remind me of the rule that God had given me. And um, so people come up every time I go to a church, they'll say, how many are you running? Yeah. And I'll be like, I have no idea. I don't know. Uh, now, I've had people tell me, you know, I think we had the, and be like, well, you know, who cares? Because that's not my job. My job, if we're going to move the needle, I knew this when we got there, if we're going to move the needle at all, um, then it's not about having this person from this church just move and come to this church. And you see that in any kind of city. Uh, every church has their turn to be the big church in town because people just move around, right? And so uh, if we're going to actually move the needle, I knew that I needed to take someone who was in the kingdom of darkness and see them translated into the kingdom of his dear son. That's the only way that we're going to change anything. It's the only way that we're going to move the mission forward. And then to be able to disciple them so that they can do the same, it's the only way that we change anything. I had a young man come to me, and he was talking about starting a church. And his approach was he was going to uh, take over a church uh, that was already in existence. They had a few people, which is not wrong. That's a, it's a good way to do it. It's fine. Um, and so he was going to do that, wanted my advice. And I just told him, uh, just remember 
that whenever you put the fresh coat of paint on and you change the website and you've got the praise group together and you got the t-shirts and you've got your three-part series that's working uh, and all that, I said, just remember when you've got all that done, you still haven't accomplished anything. Um, it feels like you're doing church, but uh, unless, you're, unless you're actually leading someone to Christ, unless you're actually making a disciple, um, the, you know, what the heck are we doing? You know, uh, otherwise we're just, uh, you know, playing church. And so I knew that I was going to have to get out there and actually take someone who was lost and lead them to Christ. And I had to figure out how to do that. And uh, praise the Lord that he, uh, he made that possible uh, for me to accomplish that. Yeah, so, and out of that, we, we get to just ask. Yes. And uh, so. I brought a prop. Yeah, if you guys there it is to. on the screen there. Yeah. Uh, just ask. And so walk us through how, you know, because a book is not that I'm a prolific author by any means, but I know enough to know that a book is something that's very personal, yes. that God puts on your heart, that you just feel a burden to convey to as many people as, you know, he would expose to this, right? So walk us through how you got to this point to write this book, and then what is it that, you know, as, as the author of this, yeah. somebody picks up this book, they read it, yeah. what do you want them to walk away with? Well, um, the, uh, you know, how this book came to be in existence um, is, it's, it's almost more than I can bear to talk about. Um, there were so many lessons that we learned. When I first started uh, going out onto the street, um, you know, there was no church yet, and it was, I was just by myself, and I didn't know what I was doing, and, uh, and I really made a mess of it, and um, I was terrified. Um, you guys probably don't know this about me, but I'm, I'm a very introverted person, um, and um, I, uh, I'd rather sit in the dark, you know, <laughs> by myself, and... Uh, uh, which sounds really weird, but uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean it to sound that way, but um, going out on the, to the street is something that's very anti my personality, is not my personality at all. And uh, so God really had to force me out there. And so I, I made so many mistakes and I was just trying to really figure it out and learn. And this book is the product of the lessons that I learned through you know thousands of conversations with people uh, as I tried to share the gospel with them. And all the trial and error and making a lot of those mistakes. And then a, a lot of it was the product of me just in my office on the floor praying and asking God to please help me and show me uh, and uh, to uh, do something with me because I was not uh, equipped to do what I was doing. And um, so as the, this book is the result of that. And uh, so it took me several years to write it, uh, but it took me over a decade to, to learn the lessons that are here and so it's, it is the product of a, a lot of joy, but also a lot of anguish and a lot of really difficult lessons learned. Um, the reason why I wanted to get it down on paper is I really believe in writing. I think writing is important. Uh, sermons, as we know, are so powerful. Uh, uh, books are forever. I mean, we're still, we're still being touched by um, sermons that Spurgeon wrote down because he got them on paper. And I put this down on paper because uh, we have a burden. We want to see believers become soul winners. 
Most people, I believe, want to be a soul winner. I believe that. I'm an optimistic person. I believe that Christians really want to be soul winners, but often don't know how. And uh, I want to make as many soul winners as I can. And I want to do everything I can to, to put the tools in their hand to do that. And so me and Mindy, that's a burden that we have, uh, is to see believers equipped to be a soul winner. And the thing about it is it's completely possible. Uh, that is one thing that I've learned uh, because, I mean, I was like the perfect test case because uh, I didn't mind preaching. If I'm in front of a crowd of 700 people, that's the place where I feel most comfortable. Uh, but one-on-one, trying to invade someone's personal space and talk to them, I mean, just never in a million years. And, um, and God transformed my life to become that. It is so possible for you to become a soul winner. Um, and yeah, you will make a mess of it at first. Uh, and that's okay. That's how you, that's the best way to learn. Uh, but I just really want people to know that it is so possible for you, no matter what your experience or Bible knowledge, uh, for you to become a soul winner. Man, praise the Lord. So I met with our life group leaders recently, and it's been on my heart. You know, we, we talk about soul winning. We talk about evangelism. We pray about it like we did this morning. But it's been on my heart to to take that next step and say, we need to actually be envisioned to go do it. And this book is a phenomenal tool to assist us with that, to, to show us how to, to help us, to equip us, to just ask. There are a number of people in and around your life right now that they're just conversations, gospel conversations waiting to happen that I, I do believe God will, will, will use this book. So, so what I asked of our life group leaders was I asked them, hey, would you, would you, would you own this burden with me? Um, I'm with Brian. Like, it, I, I don't measure success by our attendance. I, I don't. As a matter of fact, um, it, it, conversations that I've had is I'm grateful for any time we grow but the thing that I'm always asking is, did we add that person or did we win that person? Right. Right. So, man, I love all the Sunday fellowships here at Midtown. I, I think they're great. But I'm not interested in someone who's in this fellowship coming to Life Fellowship. I mean, they're welcome if they feel they need to be here. But that's not I'm not interested in that whatsoever. I'm interested in us trusting the Lord to actually win people out there so that they're here. And uh, that, that's my burden. And, 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 if, and if it can be done in London, England, it can be done in Kansas City. Absolutely. It can be done in Overland Park. It can be done in North Kansas City. It can be done in Raytown. It can be done in Lee Summit. Yeah. It can be done. So well, I think that this shift that we have where filling up a room is the issue. Um, not only does it take the Bible away from the pastor, but it, it takes the mission away from the individual church member. Uh, what has happened to church members in the West is that their entire existence at church has been relegated to their attendance record. That's how they're judged as to whether or not they're a good Christian is, you know, I go to church every Sunday. We hear people say that. Well, I'm at church every time the doors are open. You know, and that's that's the mark. 
You know, and, and if you're a really sold out Christian, then you'll invite someone to come with you. You know, and that becomes the whole of our existence as a Christian as to whether or not we show up at, at meetings. And it robs the believer from their real purpose uh, to be a soul winning, disciple making believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and that is um, something that is heartbreaking for me. Because I will tell you that even though it is so uncomfortable to talk to someone, and it is. I mean, anybody who tells you different, he's probably trying to sell a book. Um, so it's, it is so uncomfortable to talk to someone. It's difficult to broach that conversation. Uh, but even though it is uncomfortable, even though it, it really sucks and to, to break the ice and all that, um, man, I tell you, you, you will never feel more in the center of God's will than when you're doing that. Whenever I would go home from the street and I'd be walking home, uh, the feeling that I had, the joy that I had, never have I had that in my ministry work in my life to the same degree. Uh, I felt like I was right in the middle of his will, right in the middle of the battle. I felt like I was in the center of the universe. And that's probably a a day after countless rejections. Oh, just rejection all day long. Yeah, Yeah, it's like high school all over again. It's just, I get rejected and rejected and rejected. And we had all kinds of stuff happen. I've, I've mentioned before that um, uh, one of the days uh, I got uh, an Orthodox Jew gave me the finger. And, uh, and let me tell you, you have not lived. And I'm talking about the guys with the hat and the squiggles, you know? You have not lived until an Orthodox Jew gives you the finger. Uh, that is, uh, and I was, that was like uh, such a wonderful moment for me. Okay. Yeah. Whenever you feel like, man, I'm getting persecuted for Jesus, you know? By a Jew. By, yeah, and yeah. it was wonderful. Yeah. You know, so I've been spit at and I've been threatened and stuff like that. Those are very few. Most people, the, the thing that's the most heartbreaking for me, like people can insult me, you know, and most of the time it's justified, you know? Um, but the thing that really breaks my heart uh, the most is not the insults. Uh, that's fine. But... Um, is when people say, um, I don't have time. I'll be like, hey, can I ask you a question? And they'll be like, uh, I don't have time. And, and man, that, I mean, that never gets old. That kills me every time uh, because they don't realize that they're right. They don't realize that they're right. And I can't stop them. I can't force them. I just have to watch them walk away. And you should remember that about the loved ones in your life. Um, that time is not on our side, and that they don't have time. And so we have to be uh, diligent to try to get the gospel to them. Uh, but don't let anybody rob you of your purpose in life. Your purpose here, you know, we're meant to function like trees. We're here to dig our roots down into Christ, to be like Christ, to produce that fruit of the spirit, the fruit of souls. You are meant to be a soul winner. You're meant to be a soul winning disciple maker. That is your purpose is to be fruitful and to multiply. And I'm preaching to the choir. I know you know this already, but don't let anyone ever relegate your Christian life down to your attendance record at church. You know, of course you should be here. We should never forsake the assembling of ourselves together as Hebrews tells us, but it is the reason we come together is so that we can go back out and to share the gospel with people. Don't let anyone ever take that away from you. So I do want to try and get the mic out to some people's yeah, sure. questions, but um, 
could you just give us a word of encouragement yeah. as we, as a, as a fellowship, as life fellowship, as we agree together to, yeah. to walk through, just ask. And I'm, I'm at peace. I was at peace and I am at peace putting this before the groups because I know our church. If I'm asking people to press pause on whatever I think your group's doing, First Corinthians or I think some, whatever book you're studying, I'm saying, hey, just press pause on that. Yeah. Because I know if you're at Midtown, you're, we, we are going to feed you the word of God. So Absolutely. I'm not throwing the Bible away. This is not how we're going to do life groups permanently. But, but this is such a burden on my heart that I, we've got to focus on it. So as we come together as a, as a, as a family, as a unit, as a team, uh, and can you give us a charge, some encouragement as we go about this? Well, I, I think that uh, as far as the book is concerned, I, I hope that it will be helpful. And, um, you know, it's just a book written by a guy. So uh, if you find things that are helpful in that, then you use those. If you find things that are stupid, you just throw them away. Um, and uh, I tried to do everything I could uh, to fill it with Bible references and support, biblical support, so that you can not trust me, what I say, but to go to the Bible and to see what the Bible has to say for itself and uh, so we have three sections of a philosophy, a biblical philosophy for soul winning, which is so important to get your mind right. Uh, and, and then uh, one of my favorite sections is section two, the disposition of a soul winner, how we carry ourselves. It's a, I've read just about every soul winning book I can get my hands on, and that's a subject that's almost never talked about, um, that the attitude you have and the way you carry yourself as a soul winner makes all the difference. Your disposition is the most honest conversation you will ever have with somebody. And so it needs to be a Christ-like one. Uh, and then, of course, the practical approach uh, will, it does not give you a script. I don't believe in scripts. They're a great way to start. I'm not against them, but they do not prepare you for every encounter uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So the practical uh, approach we give you is just a guide that will help you navigate any conversation you get into. Um, and so uh, I, I hope that it will be of help to you uh, to do that. But the way I really want to encourage you is by sharing this one verse with you. Um, whenever we first started in London, um, I had someone come to me uh, that was a mentor in my life, someone very important to me. Um, and he told me, he said, Brian, I, I think that... I think that you should quit. He said, you do not have what it takes to do this job. Uh, he came, visited us in our home in London. He said, you should pack it up and go home. And, uh, and it really killed me. Uh, it really hurt my feelings, which that's not that big a deal. I get my feelings hurt pretty easy, right? Uh, Mindy could tell me that I need to lose a little weight. It takes me like a week to recover. You know, I mean, I get my feelings hurt pretty easy. But, uh, but he did, he really hurt my heart. And um, he, he destroyed me, to be honest. Um, and I, that's one of the things I'm so thankful for now. That's what really drove me to the Lord. And um, after many, many weeks of prayer and stuff, God took me to this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. And uh, he says, um, starting in verse 26, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that God hath not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 
but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And in that moment, when God spoke to me, I was sitting on my office floor, he spoke to me, and, and he said to me, he said, you remember those guys that came to your house? Because it was a couple of people. He said, they told you that you didn't have what it takes to do this job? And I said, yes, yeah, I kind of remember that. And uh, he said, they were right. And I was like, well, thanks. You know, that's wonderful to hear. Um, and he said, no, you're not understanding. He said, they were absolutely right. You don't have what it takes. He says, and that is why when you and I do this thing and we plant this church, everyone's going to know that I'm the one who did it. He says, you've forgotten your Bible history. I always choose the foolish things. He said, I did not choose you because you're good. I chose you, Brian, because you're not. Because I get the glory for this. So if you feel today that, hey, that's not for me. I'm totally inadequate. I'm so foolish. I am not wise. I don't have a pedigree. I don't have a background. Everything is against this. You've forgotten your Bible history. Look at the people he chooses. Look at the Gideons of this world that he chooses. Uh, The Brian Clarks who are so foolish and ridiculous and God takes them and if you feel like you are inadequate that you are not uh, prepared that you are not qualified then you are exactly the kind of person that God calls to be a soul winner you're exactly the kind of person that he wants you to be to, to, to for him to choose because he wants to get the glory for this and so I would just encourage you if, if you feel like this book, I mean, I have a hard time plugging my own book because it seems self-aggrandizing. Uh, but if this will be a help to you to do that, uh, then praise the Lord. But please be a soul winner. That's my main encouragement to you. Please be a soul winner. Allow God to work through you to accomplish that uh, because he will. No matter who we are and how feeble and foolish we are, he can work through us to lead someone to Christ. What I can tell you is, is when you start reading this book, you're going to feel like Brian is sitting next to you and you're going to have a few laughs along the way. I promise you that. So we're actually out of time, but I got to ask you, how, how old are you? Um, I, don't, I don't know why you would want to ask me that. Well, there, I'm going somewhere with this. Yeah. yeah how old are you? I'm 51. I, I just turned, well, I turned 50 in July. The reason I ask is because, bro, I saw you reading your Bible, no glasses, no... I, I couldn't read that without glasses. Man. I have contacts in. Ah, uh, okay. I was like, yeah. I was like, man, I think he's, we're around it's, the same it's age. It's all smoke and mirrors, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've got contacts in. So. I was like, that's impressive. <laughs> like, I couldn't yeah. do that. Right, no, it's all yeah. falling apart, man. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, hey, guys, can we give Brian thanks for being here? Yeah, thank you, bro. Um, we're out of time, but if you if you had a question or something you wanted to follow up with Brian about, and he's one of the most approachable, engaging individuals you'll ever come across, uh, he'll, I think, yeah, okay, cool. Uh, he'll he'll be glad to to welcome that. Is was there something? We're good. We're good? Okay. Um, I will pray because I think our time is up. I can feel it. So, all right, Lord, thank you uh, for our brother, our friend. Uh, Brian and God, his testimony and uh, God, just it, what a, it, what a refreshing reminder that um, you weren't looking for the elite, um, the superstars, uh, 
the eloquent, but but those who are just you know small and believe that you are who you are and that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That the power's not in us. Um, it's not about us. It's not how any of that, but just our obedience and our faith uh, to just trust you with just asking. So, Lord, I beg for your hand of blessing on Life Fellowship that from this morning to walking through the book and our groups that, that God, we would glorify you as we trust you for several gospel conversations. Lord, my heart burns for Life Fellowship to be a gospel culture where our conversations are saturated with the, with the discussions that we've had during the week. As Brian put it, we come together so we can go back out. So as we come together, we, we talk, and as we gather in our groups, we, we share stories and, and we pray over people, just names of people that were engaging with the gospel. Uh, Lord, I, I, we're trusting you for several gospel conversations. We're trusting you for several um, professions of faith. We're trusting you for several disciple, for baptisms and discipleship pairings and not for our glory, not so that life fellowship is the biggest anything, but that, Lord, we're just obedient and that that falls out to your glory. So, God, let us let us die to our excuses. Let us die to our apprehensions and let us just embrace the full Great Commission. Not just discipleship and missions, but, Lord, it all starts with the gospel. May we be about that business. Thank you again for my brother and my friend, Brian, coming to encourage us today. In Jesus' name, amen.